<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of Thoughts on Films. My name is Fikri, and today we are going to be taking a closer look at what's what in the context of Indonesian cinema, at least through a selection of a number of films for the year 2021. And we're going to do that with a very special guest episode as we welcome for the first time ever, Miss Nadia Sharifa. Hello, Nadia. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing good so far. So far, yes. By the end of the episode, maybe a little less good, perhaps. Um, for those of you who don't know, and of course, I don't expect you guys to know, uh, Nadia is a former student of mine. She has a very keen interest in the context of uh, contemporary Indonesian films and cinema and, and, and all the other aspects of screen cultures and such. Um, so I think, you know, I'm, I have a similar interest as well, but I've been away for quite a number of years, as some of you guys may have uh, noticed. Uh, and I think it would be good if we can kind of dive into uh, a little bit of what Indonesian cinema has to offer for the year 2021 with somebody who has a better idea of what's what. Um, uh, but uh, prior to that, however, just very briefly to, catching up, uh, to catch up with Nadia. Uh, Nadia, it's been a while since I last saw you in person. Uh, I, I think we're looking at what? Uh, two years, uh, two two years and a bit. Um, in, in the meantime, um, since since what twenty nineteen until now, apart from talking about me behind my back with uh, Jonathan Driscoll, uh, what else have you been up to, and and how have you been doing, Nadia? I've been doing good. I'm doing good actually, and I think for the last two years, because the last time I saw you, I was still in college. I was still mm. doing the the equivalent of what should be my freshman year. And mm. actually, during the past two years, I have discovered that um, because I took minor in uh, film studies, um, mm. and then I just realized that actually, I think it should be my major, which my dad supported. But then I'm already on my second year by the time, so I'm like, I'm just going to keep my major and keep it as my minor. But um, mm. I think for further studies and for work and such, I think I will focus on that um, that aspect of. Um, so I'm going to go into a more media and film direction. And mm. since I'm, I don't have any plan to live abroad, so I think discovering um, Indonesian films would be one way to do it. Um, and I've been watching Indonesian films since as long as I can remember. When I was in elementary school, one of the most memorable films for me is Habibi and Ainun. Oh, yes. I yeah, love it's that a very, it's It's a very good film. I was still in fifth grade, I think, when my mom took me to the cinema. She, she saw it three times, I think. And mm. then... Uh, yeah, I cried every time because it was really good. Even for a, for a kid, for me, it it was really good actually. So, um, because I've been away for a while as well, for about eight months when I went to Melbourne, I haven't been catching up with Indonesian cinema as much as I'd like to. But when I did come back um, to Indonesia, uh, I did a little bit of catching up, and then Netflix also did. A really good job in inserting Indonesian films there. Mm. So it's also a good way of, um, you know, keeping up with Indonesian films. Mm, absolutely. Uh, we are going to tap into that wealth of cultural capital that you have accumulated over the past number of years. Um, I can, for my part, certainly vouch for uh, the quality of uh, Habibi uh, Dan Ainun. I, I love that film. I saw it in the cinema, Ikelapa Gading Kali. And when the credits rolled up, <laughs> I was clapping along. It's like, oh, this is this is a good film, you know. It's really, really nice. Yeah. Um, and then my wife like, shh, shh, stop clapping because uh, apparently it's not really the done thing in Indonesia. 
it's not friendly. It's not no, but you know, um, so so there are many memorable memorable things about the film that is actually not a part of the film itself. But nevertheless, um, you know, the point is, I have very very good memories of that film. Um, you know, it's a quality film and it's good. It's good at um, you know you you have a, a good memory of that as well. Um, but we're gonna check to see what your memory is like for films of, uh, you know, uh, the 2021 variety. Uh, this episode, ladies and gentlemen, uh, will be a discussion of the best Indonesian films of the year, guided by two things, uh, principally, really. The first is a top 10 list uh, published by the Jakarta Post. Um, it's an article written by Radia Indra, uh, titled A New Hope, the top 10 Indonesian films of 2021. I don't know why they're going with A New Hope, um, because uh, there's a Star Wars feel to that, which I think is not quite so appropriate. But at the same time, we're talking about how these are perhaps like the new hopes of Indonesian cinema. Um, maybe not entirely irrelevant either, but it feels like Indonesian cinema, by and large, uh, has, has been doing fairly well over the past number of years. Certainly viewed, uh, you know, uh, from the outside of the country at least. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that's the title. This was something that was published on uh, Thursday, six of December 2021, all right? Um, and the second factor guiding our selection of films for today uh, are some, some winners, the selected winners from the 2021 uh, FFE, Festival Film Indonesia, um, held on the 10th of November 2021. He awarded the Best of Indonesian Cinema. Um, and I think uh, this is when uh, the makers of Penyalin Cahaya kind of came in with an industrial power vacuum because they swept up 12 awards in, in many of the feature film categories, including the best feature film, best director, and best original screenplay. It's not even screened in cinemas yet, if I'm not mistaken. It premiered in uh, Busan um, a, a few months ago, and it will be shown on Netflix uh, uh, in January 2022. So, so there's a very interesting strategy here that's taken by this um, film in a way. Uh, it reminded me of a copy of my mind a few years ago, I think it was 2015 or 2016. And that is also another feature film which won the Best Feature Film Award before it was actually released uh, in, in the country itself. So that's very interesting to see how these these, uh, these things um, happen or progress. Um, but for our part, we're not going to be talking about that film either. We are going to have two parts to this particular episode, ladies and gentlemen. In part one, we are going to talk about Ali and Ratu Ratu Queens, uh, another film. Seperti dendam rindu harus dibayar tuntas. Uh, we're going to touch a bit on Nusa. <laughs> There's a backstory behind this. Um, and then there's uh, going to be a discussion of a film called uh, Nyongkuyung as well. That'll be in part one. Part two, we'll be taking a closer look at Arumi dan Lidah Pochong, Uni and Paranoia. So that's something for us to kind of sink our teeth into. Um, without further ado, let's get to the first film, Ali dan Ratu Ratu Queens, right? Um, the, the brief synopsis of this film After his father's passing A teenager sets out for New York In search of his estranged mother And soon finds love and connection In unexpected places um, the, the lead actor I think is uh, Iqbal Ramadan uh, Going from Bandung to New York Dilan uh, <laughs> in New York We uh, should just call this film that Directed by uh, Lucky Kuswandi Who's the director of uh, Galih dan Ratna And also one of my favourite um, It's a very good film I really like the film But the, the title I really really love Selamat Pagi Malam uh, It's just so Indonesian And so indie And the film also is also very very nice uh, So uh, Lucky directed uh, those two previous films uh, 
before the past. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, right, this is a film written by Gina Esnoer, uh, the, the writer and director of, of Dua Garis Biru, uh, also the, the writer of the, pre the aforementioned Habibi dan Ainun and Keluarga Cemara. So again, um, uh, a filmmaker of some pedigree here. The same goes for the uh, for the other person uh, credited with the story, Muhammad Zaidi, who's the producer of Possessive, Aruna dan Lidahnya, dan um, Seperti Dendam, Rindu Harus Dibayar Tuntas. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of quality people behind the camera, right? On screen, however, Nadia, I've not seen it, <laughs> but you have. So I wonder what your thoughts are on this particular film, Ali and uh, Dandraturaki Queens. Uh, so first thing first, I, I think incredible wordplay because Raturatu Queens, I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's actually Indeed. very brilliant. Yeah, that's very brilliant. And then I saw it. Um, it's actually very good. I cried a lot during that movie because it talks about um, the mom who basically went to New York and then basically left Ali and and his father behind. Um, so actually, regarding Ali and Ratu Ratu Queens, I think the most interesting thing is that, and this is a common topic, I think, in the, these new Indonesian films about how masculinity could also be soft masculinity. Because Ali is portrayed as a sensitive person. He cries a lot. He cries when he met his mom and, and stuff like that. But also, uh, actually, I think one of the winners of FFE for the film, crit film, film review, film analysis, um, criteria. Um, he talked about how Alianda Torato Queens um, is, you know, is, is talking about the American dream as well, and I think that's very interesting because um, basically it's a bit of a spoiler here, but basically the mom left for New York, and then the mom has a new family there. She got married with a U.S. citizen, and you know, has kids and whatnot. And I feel like it could be seen as an insert. I mean, the way I interpret it is like how, you know, how some Indonesians um, go, abroad, go, go abroad and then um, kind of just, um, you know, um, adapt to the new culture and then kind of forgetting the Indonesian culture. But in the end, they will always come back to their roots. I think that's, that's one way to see it, I think, <laughs> the way I interpret it. Um, I think it's very well done uh, for me because... The songs that they use, they use this, a song by The Groove, which is which has been popular again. It's a song from early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken, but now it's getting popular again. So I think, in a way, it can uh, attract a lot of audiences from the teenagers until probably um, the older generation who who might feel nostalgic because they also um, cast uh, like senior actresses like Happy Salma. And um, and such, yeah. So, I think it's a very good movie overall. Yeah. All right, very interesting. Um, I think when you mentioned the the groove there, I'm reminded of we mentioned possessive earlier, um, and in the film possessive, uh, the song done by was it Peter Pan? I think she Long Seven. She Long Seven. That's right. Yeah. Um, that kind of led to a kind of resurgence in in uh, the interest of. Uh, the song and and you know subsequently the band as well. So I, I find it very interesting that we are kind of now working with previous elements of of our pop culture as a way of trying to um, you know add, add another layer of narrative there uh, in a way. Right. So so that's quite interesting there. Um, but you 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 brought up the issue of of uh, soft masculinity here. 
I find it very interesting because in, in a more general sense, gender and sexuality in, in cinema is, is a big part of what I'm most interested in with regards to my, my professional academic interest. Um, can you kind of expand a bit more on that? You know, when you say that it, it showcases or presents uh, this, this brand of, of uh, soft masculinity, um, can, can you give us more examples about this and, and whether this is shown to be like, it's, it's a positive thing or it's, it's, it's a good thing? Uh, you know, um, what, what is it like in the film? Um, I think for me personally, I think it's a good thing because um, as we know, um, Indonesian culture, they they mostly taught boys to, you know, don't cry, don't be sensitive. Mm. Well, be aggressive in a way. Um, but again, in Ali and Ratu Ratu Queens, Ali is portrayed as a very shy, very reserved, very sensitive kind of person. And even when he likes a girl, he was very shy about it. Meanwhile, the girl was very assertive. So I think mm. that's interesting how they challenge the gender stereotype, something that is actually common in Western movies. Not so mm. much in Indonesian movies. So I think I think it's a good thing that they are starting to challenge those gender traditional stereotypes. And um, and also I think it's very smart that they use Iqbal since um, Iqbal was on Dylan and he appeared as a very aggressive character. And um, Iqbal is, I, at least for my generation, Iqbal is like the it guy, right? So um, using Iqbal, which is idolized by many women and men probably, um, they can be seen that, uh, well, the audience can see that being shy, being reserved, being sensitive doesn't make you any less of a guy. Look at Iqbal, you know, like mm. he can be soft and just as masculine, probably, you know, um, something along that line. That's the way I understand it. Oh, that's, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, now I'm more interested than ever to check out the film. Um, perhaps one final thing that we'll talk about before we move on to, to the next uh, film or the next point of discussion. Um, could it be that perhaps that given the, the setting of the film uh, being outside of Indonesia, could it be that this is the reason why such discussions or such representations are, are really allowed and, and, and are seen therefore as being more acceptable? I, I'm, I'm trying to think perhaps if we are making the story, but set it in, setting it in, in the uh, so-called more traditional patriarchal Asian context, perhaps, um, then, then such depictions or representations of soft masculinity might not quite be as, uh, as accepted. But because this is set in the US, um, there is a, a greater degree of openness that would allow Indonesian audiences to, to uh, be more open to this. Like, what do you think about that, that thought that I just had there? Yeah, I haven't thought about that before, but I think now, now that I think about it again, probably yes, because even if I think even if um, some audience think that that's not the way it is in Indo, but then they can think to themselves, but, but they're not in Indo. So maybe, yeah, it can make uh, the film more acceptable. Mm, okay, fair enough. Oh, thank you very much for that. That's actually quite interesting. Um, do you really think so much about the American dream? Um, but, uh, you know, that just, that's going to be a good one that's worth discussing later on. Um, so we are going to uh, check in with uh, the next film. And I think there'll be parts of this where we'll be getting back to uh, some parts of uh, uh, Ali dan Ratu Ratu Queens. <laughs> Again, I like that, Ratu Ratu Queens. Um, but we are going to discuss a, a film made by uh, the, the producer as well, Mohamed Zaidi, as I mentioned earlier. This is a film, Seperti Dendam, Rindu Harus Dibayar Tuntas. So speaking of uh, 
masculinity. Right? I'm, I'm looking at the, the synopsis that I got from IMDb here. I'm still not entirely sure what the film is about. So it could be that you might need to fill in some, some, uh, some of the uh, plot points or plot holes here for me. Here's the synopsis, ladies and gentlemen. In a society ruled by machismo, a hibernating bird becomes a serious matter. In a life of brutality, uh, the sleeping bird is an allegory for a peaceful and serene life, even when the whole world tries desperately to rouse it. Uh, there's a film written and directed by Edwin, uh, who also made Possessive, Aruna dan Lidahnya, uh, Babi Buta Yang Ingin Terbang. Uh, it's actually based on a book as well by Ika Kurniawan. Um, but what is the story about, Nadia? What can you tell us uh, about the film? Um, so basically, I think they use the analogy of the bird thing because I think this film particularly, it touches a lot of um, sexual ground, I think. Um, because it basically tells a story about Ajo Kawir. Ajo Kawir is basically uh, he's a um, he's a village gangster. I think you could put, you could put it that way. But mm. at the same time, he has a problem with his um, genital, so it can't um, important. I think the the name of the mm. disease. Right. Um, yeah, so it it became a huge problem, but he gets defensive about it because it's not it's it's out of his control. Um, so he's always very insecure because he cannot practice um, proper sexual activities. And, mm. if, um, and I think that's also very interesting because at the same time, he is a gangster. But at the mm. same time, he also has some, some quality of fragile, fragileness in, mm. in, his, like, in his physique. So, um, and then he met a girl named uh, Itong. Itang is also a, a gangster-ish, um, which they, yeah, they, they, they got in a fight and then Itang wins. Um, and then Itang basically falls in love with Ajo Kawir, but uh, Ajo Kawir doesn't, he, he loves Itang, but he cannot, uh, but he's afraid, basically. He was afraid because, because of his condition. But when he told Itang, Itang accepted that. But again, uh, during, during their marriage, Itang cannot really bear with the condition, so Itang um, has sex with another guy, which is uh, her ex, played by Raza Rahadian, actually. Mm. And, okay, um, that's, that's a very interesting casting choice there. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> um, uh, actually, I think the 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 choice of using um, Raza Rahadian as some as the character who is an antagonist almost, is actually kind of interesting because mm. even when he acts like that, I cannot really hate him because there's still Rez- the Reza Rahadian persona is still there. Mm. The charm is still there. So I'm like, I don't like this person, but I can still see Reza Rahadian in him. So I don't really hate him, even mm. though he, he he treats everyone like trash. But yeah, mm. I think it's, it's a very interesting use of actor there. And... Um, and um, yeah, so the whole story revolves around the idea of, you know, male not being masculine enough. Mm. In this, in, in Ajok Kawir's case, it's about a more physical part of his. But, mm. but yeah, yeah, they, they're, they're still very, yeah, I think, I think that's about that. Okay, no, that's fine. I mean, it gives us a very good idea of what the story is about. Before we actually get into what, you think of the film per se in terms of your own thoughts and feelings about 
you know, some key points of the films, perhaps. I wonder what the general perception or reaction to uh, a film like this is like. Um, again, me being a Malaysian, you know, I can't quite escape my own biases. Uh, so the point here is that every time I come across a film that kind of questions uh, masculinity in, in, in such a fashion, uh, in ways that are not necessarily particularly hegemonic, um, in, in this case, you know, more than just a few hints of uh, um, uh, emasculation and such. Um, in, in Malaysia, the, the general feeling is that these kind of films would not really be met as positively, uh, or at least, um, you know, with, with a more open mind and, and with open arms and such. What was the reception of this film like in Indonesia, uh, to your knowledge? Maybe something that you can share with us about what, what your, your friends perhaps think about the film or, or what you may have read in the media perhaps? Um, probably from what I read, like on Twitter, I think a lot of people actually like it. Hmm. But I think one of the main reasons is because this film is actually based on a book. So it's not new. Like the idea is not entirely new because the book has been there for a while. I haven't read it actually, but it's been there. And hmm. um, a lot of people, like influencers that I follow on social media, they actually have like positive reactions to this, probably hmm. because... The, the idea of soft masculinity is kind of popular here as well now with mm. all, the, all the social media trends and TikToks and like um, abolish toxic masculinity and all that. And like, even now in Indo, teenage boys are starting to, you know, wear, wearing nail polish, skirt and stuff. It's becoming more normal here. So I think that's why the, the reactions are mainly positive because it resonates with the situation around here. Right. What kind of stuff are we talking about here when we say stuff on TikTok and, and on social media and whatnot? Can can you share some examples of that, please? I think most of the TikTok channels probably um, basically just boys recording themselves wearing nail polish and then just posing with clothes that are not traditionally made for men, like crop tops and then skirts. Um, and yeah. And then also trends where they lip sync while to girly songs while mm. doing the hand girly hand gesture. Um, it's it's becoming big. And then the comments from the girls are basically they're very supportive. They're like, "That's cute. That's men." So I think it got um, the younger Indonesian audience really thinks about what masculinity is really like. I think they will have a different idea from the older generation. Aku mencintaimu hitam, tapi apa yang akan kau lakukan terhadap laki-laki yang tak bisa ngaca? Aku akan mengawininya. That is so intriguing, so intriguing, and and that's fantastic to note that at least for some groups of people, that such ideas are becoming more and more widely uh, accepted. Um, so, but yeah, we are here to talk about films, um, and, and let's get back to the film. I and mean, you you explain to us what the film is about now, perhaps. Um, you know, what do you think of the film? Is it really like, um, you know, worthy of all the good praise that has come along um, for, for this film? It won an award uh, for best film, I think, at that Locarno Film Festival just, just a few months ago. Uh, I wonder whether you think that award is perhaps deserved, um, Nadia? I think it is. It is deserved. Um, I think the most beautiful part of the film is actually the visuals for me, at least. It was mm. shot on Kodak film, like literal film. So I think it's very interesting because I don't really see that much Indonesian film shot with 
actual film. Mm. Um, and I think visually it's very pleasing. And I think it's also unique because they use the words that Indonesian films use in the 80s. So in a way, it's very self-reflexive, like the, the French New Wave films. Like it, they make the audience know this is a film, this is not real life. But, but at the same time, they are talking about topics that are happening in real life, actually. So I think, um, yeah, that's interesting. And, and then um, quoting Tiara, um, this film is very art house. And I, I agree with her. It feels very art house, very indie in a way. And I think most um, most people actually, because I attended the screening for this film, and most of the people around me, uh, I heard them talking like, yeah, this is my fourth time watching. This is, this is my third time. So um, a lot of people think this is not a one-time thing. This is a film that you need to watch several times before before you actually understand what the film is about. And I think I kind of agree with them because when the film ends, I, I still have questions like, who is this person? What does it mean? And when I actually Google it, I don't really found any answer. So I feel like I will have to watch it again in order to be able to um, answer my own question. Yeah, well, that's a very clever uh, strategy by Edwin there uh, to make a film that people don't quite understand fully the first time around, so that he can make more money later on. <laughs> All jokes aside, Edwin, uh, for those of you who may not know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is a filmmaker with a strong track record, um, certainly in in the independent context. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Babi Buta Yang Ingin Terbang. Um, that was a film made in. The late tennis, if I recall correctly, um, it was screened in Busan one year and I saw the film there and I thought it was very uh, intriguing in many ways. But I must admit that at that time, while I enjoyed the film, I didn't quite have the same kind of understanding of um, Indonesia's uh, you know, uh, social cultural uh, context, uh, some of its histories and whatnot. So that's, that's to do with, with a lot of... Um, you know, the, the Chinese Indonesian community basically feeling a bit left out from, from the mainstream Indonesian discussion. And then there's a bit about, uh, I think there's a character who had some Dutch lineage or something like that, but is not able to speak Dutch. I, I can't remember now exactly, but the point is that you know, his films are not afraid in, in a more general sense to look at, at some of the tough questions. In more recent years, you have Possessive, Aruna Dalidanya, and now um, uh, Sepati seperti dendam um, and, and and these are some of the more mainstream efforts um, previously his films are so difficult to <laughs> to find you know uh, as a true independent filmmaker how do you know that you are an independent filmmaker when people cannot find your films that's, that's a big part of the criteria here ladies and gentlemen um, so so that's that so it's good to know that he's doing well um, and that he's making more money from from you maybe from me as well I mean it's, it's not in cinemas anymore um, I think so I, I've got to find other ways to check the film out it does sound very intriguing um, and on that note thank you very much um, uh, very interesting to note that the two films that we've discussed so far, ladies and gentlemen, I've not seen these films and it both have touched on issues to do with, um, you know, representations or discussions of gender and sexuality um, in, in relatively new ways. That's fantastic to note. Um, the next film I have listed here in the rundown is um, Nusa, <laughs> which, as I've mentioned before, I didn't quite manage to watch. Um, or at least the, the main reason is that uh, the, the film is... Um, 
now available in Indonesia on this platform called Bioscope Online. Um, but uh, for some reason, uh, it, I was not able to purchase the film and, and watch it in time. And uh, that, so that was annoying because I kind of really wanted to check it out. All right. Uh, this is a film, ladies and gentlemen, that is actually also the highest grossing uh, or has sold the most tickets at the box office for the year 2021. Mm, and it is also quite rare in, in many respects uh, because it is actually based on a television series. So it's an animated film really looking at, uh, you know, children as, as not just as his target audience, but also uh, as, as the focus of his story. Um, so I, I, generally speaking, I look at Indonesian cinema and I'm thinking kids' films, not so much. You know, there's plenty of good stuff going on here, but it feels like homegrown um, Indonesian films looking at, you know, uh, children, targeting children, perhaps, you know, animated and whatnot. I, I, I think of maybe Sijuki the movie um, uh, and then Keluarga uh, Cemara, Rumah Cemara. Keluarga Cemara, I think, from, from a few years ago. Uh, by and large, we are looking at, at films or television shows and whatnot that does not really cater towards this particular demographic. But more than happy to stand corrected here. I wonder whether Nadia Sharifa um, feels the same way as I do. Nadia, I mean, generally speaking, um, what's the picture like for um, you know, children's films or, or animated films in Indonesia? You know, any thoughts on this particular uh, subject matter? I also think it's actually something new because I don't really see a lot of Indonesian animated children films. I mean, I do know that there is an Indonesian animated children film. It was released in 2008, if I'm mistaken. It's called Meraih Mimpi. Um, I have a CD of that film. But when I actually Googled about that film yesterday, uh, it turned out that the producer or the, the director, it was actually um, non-Indonesians. So I think like with Nusa coming and stuff uh, where the staffs, I think almost every staff, if not most, um, are mainly Indonesians. I think it's very, very interesting. And um, I haven't watched the film actually, but I've heard a lot of good reviews. I mean, adults are crying um, over that film. And even the TV series, I used to watch it with my younger siblings. And I think it's, it's very good because... I think uh, with Malaysia, Malaysia has Open Ipin, which was very big in Indonesia as well. But at that time, I don't think Indonesia has something as big as Open Ipin. But with Nusa coming, I think it, it's safe to say that Nusa and Open Ipin are, are, you know, are almost, Nusa is almost as big as Open Ipin. So um, in terms of um, teaching the good qualities and um, because Nusa is labeled as... Uh, you know, catered to more Muslim children. He thought about many like prayers and stuff. So it's good. But even, I think it can be watched by everyone, not just, not uh, exclusively for Muslim citizens because, yeah, because he, he taught a lot of qualities like friendship and love and it's something that everyone can relate to. So it's good in a way. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Yes. I mean, I would have loved to see it. And it's very interesting here. The reason why I wanted to buy the film or buy a ticket to the film and watch it today is because uh, Bioscope Online is doing a promotion uh, where I think leading up to the 24th of December, they will sell tickets 
for the film's premiere on the 25th of December. <laughs> so this so-called very Muslim film uh, would have had its so-called online premiere on, on Christmas, uh, which I, I, I like, I really like, you know, because to be honest with you, we, we do have, we do fall into this trap, you know what I mean, where um, at least in Malaysia, oh, Chinese New Year coming up, you know, better schedule all the Chinese films to come out around that time. Or, um, you know, if it's like Christmas or if it's like, um, in, you know, um, uh, Hari Raya in Malaysia, again, you kind of work with that particular schedule as well. So I would, I really like the, the, the schedule, but unfortunately that's, that's not to be. Um, the film itself, ladies and gentlemen, directed by Bonnie uh, Wirasmono, who's involved in the production of a TV show uh, that uh, Nadia was talking about earlier in greater detail, uh, written by uh, M. Nurman Wardi, who's also writing the script for the upcoming Philosophical Pitiga. I mean, <laughs> I, I like the Philosophy Copy films, I don't know how philosophical we can get though about coffee. Um, I uh, to, to kind of warrant a trilogy of, of very philosophical coffee, so so to speak. But but the film is itself uh, the first two is is uh, very, you know they're, they're they're very enjoyable films. So you know I, I'm more than happy to be surprised um, on that front. But that's that. Um, and also by uh, Widya uh, Arifianti, who wrote the script for the short film, Two Language and a Sausage. And I think the, the two language part without the S, um, S is, you know, the standard for plural terms, um, it's actually deliberate. So, so it's a short film that I would have loved to check out, um, but we'll see, maybe in the future. Speaking of short films, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the final film for the first part of our episode here is a film called uh, Nyung Kuyung. Um, so... Uh, uh is, is a film uh, that tells about the adventures of Pak Suratno, a former uh, uh, Pak RT. Uh, how, how do we describe RT, uh, Nadia? Rukun uh, Tetangga is a term. And I think a, a fair amount of Malaysians certainly can, can understand it. The head of the, the district, can we say that? Um, yes. Hmm? Yeah. The Rukun Tetangga is like the neighborhood or the district or the community. And, and the Pak RT or the, the, the uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, head of the RT here um, is the person most responsible for that area. So if you need to have any official stuff done, right, if you need to kind of register your address in that area um, as your home address in, 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 in let's say for instance, Jakarta or wherever, you need official documentation from the Pa RT to accompany your application to be submitted to, to the government. You know, so it's, it's a very interesting system that they have there. Um, so that's that. It, it is what it is. Um, but this is basically the context, right? And, and the story is basically of Pak Suratno, uh, a former uh, uh, Rukun Tetangga head who tries to hold a gamelan performance in the midst of his confusion about adapting to the new routine of becoming a retiree. In the midst of his efforts, he discovered odd things were done by Pak Hari, the new Pak Erte or the new uh, head of, of the Rukun Tetangga. Um, I... This is a film directed by Wahyu Agung Prasatyo, who directed uh, quite a number of uh, Ravachana films, short films. And these, these are quality short films, ladies and gentlemen. If you have the chance to check them out, I do uh, make the effort to do so. Uh, including the sensational Tilik, um, released a few years ago and caused like, so much, like, you know, uh, discussions about, you know, gender and all that kind of stuff again. Um, and, and it's gotten, I think, more views on YouTube than Malaysia has people, which is 
my way of, of contextualizing how something that gets over 30 million or whatever, I always say that uh, that's more than the people we have in Malaysia. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, that's Tilik. Uh, he's the director for this um, uh, particular film. Uh, the story is written by Vanis, who also wrote Setengah Hari Kurang Sedikit. And again, many other Ravachana films uh, productions. But this is actually a, not just a Ravachana films production, but it's also a Netflix Indonesia production as well. So we're going to touch base with that a little bit more in a short while. But with regards to the story itself, um, I just want to check in with you, Nadia. I kind of want to sum this whole thing up in just one word, which is Gatek or Gagal Technology. <laughs> uh, I wonder how much uh, of that would you agree with, Nadia? What do you think of the film? I agree. I agree, actually. Yeah, mm. I think you can sum, sum the whole film up with, with, with that word. But also, I think it's interesting because I think ever since the pandemic, so many films are, you know, talking about how um, younger generations are adapting their lives into a more online situation, but they never actually um, gave the spotlight to older people who might not be as familiar with technology. Mm. Yeah, and... You know, actually, I mean, come to think about it, their lives in the pandemic might actually be harder since they're not familiar with technology and all that. Mm. So I think even though the film is mainly about culture and like tradition and like technology as well, I think it can be interpreted about how um, people treat older people, ageism, if you will. I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's a way to look at it about the film. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. Um, in, in a general sense, you don't really get a lot of films that, that really feature as much, um, you know, more older characters as the central protagonist, perhaps. I think there was Preman Pension um, a few years ago. Um, but by and large, you know, again, we, you know, we are looking at what Jeffrey Nicol or Iqbal Ramadan, you know, if you're talking about the most popular films, you know, in, in, in the general sense here. Yeah. Um, uh, but but this in this context, however, I, I find it interesting that this is actually uh, it's, it's it's a short film uh, for the lack of a better term, really. Um, and I wonder that in the context of um, uh, short films per se in Indonesia, uh, quite a number of them in more recent times have been getting a lot of critical attention. Um, again, as I've mentioned or prefaced at the start of this episode, this is a film that's listed in the top ten list uh, by uh, an article. Uh, published in the Jakarta Post. So I, I love that short films are being given such attention, but I don't know whether this is actually a mainstream thing, right? I like it because I like short films. Maybe the writer likes it because the writer likes short films. But in your opinion, Nadia, is, is short films really becoming a part of the mainstream attention and, and conversation as well when it comes to films? What do you think? I mean, based on the people around me, I think it has the potential. Probably not there yet for the mainstream. But I think uh, with the whole web series and all that, I think web series and short films are kind of close in a way um, with a platform such as YouTube because one thing tends to lead to the other. Like after you watch certain web series, then they will recommend you several short films. So I think it definitely has the potential to be big in the mainstream audience. Yes, absolutely. I, I would agree with you there. Um, again, coming back to um, short films, I think just over the past number of years, um, we've had Kado by Aditya Ahmad, 
uh, Science of Fictions by Angi something something. I forgot his full name. <laughs> My apologies, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so quite a number of short films are making waves at home and abroad. Um, in terms of mainstream attention, I do recall quite a number of newspaper articles looking at at these. But again, that's just my perspective from afar. I think, again, on the ground, it could be that we're looking at a very different thing altogether. Coming back to the main topic of this film, though, um, however, Nadia, I, I think looking at a film like Nyung Kuyung um, and, and its discussion of uh, GATEC or GAGA technology amongst uh, the older generation, um, I do feel that in, in so many ways, especially something that is exacerbated by the, the pandemic right now, there are people getting left behind. Um, I didn't really think so much about it in that sense. I was just thinking GATEC, like GATEC, like GAGAL technology, just that people don't know how to work with, with phones and, and laptops, computers and such. But what you brought up kind of made me think like a bit more about this. I remember reading newspaper articles as well about how older generations in other countries like South Korea, for instance, are finding it even more problematic precisely because everything or nearly everything is, is really going digital or virtual, you know? We're now talking about the metaverse, for instance, um, which is something that Mark Zuckerberg has, has uh, really introduced into the, the, the cultural mainstream just over the past few months. But in South Korea, they're already like pushing ahead with plans for uh, a metaverse for uh, governmental functions, really. If you want to meet somebody with... Uh, somebody at at the, at the city hall, for instance, and these are the kind of things that can already be done through a particular type of metaverse that they have already set up. If you want to attend a fashion show and all that kind of stuff, you know, the, the metaverse thing is, is actually something that's very, uh, very much embedded in, in more um, advanced, te technologically speaking, of course, countries like South Korea. Um, but in that light, it does also mean that more and more people who are not familiar with all these things are being left behind. Um, so I think that's a very good point that you have raised there, something that I didn't quite think about as much. Um, the film itself, to be honest, kind of plays with this in a more comic way. Um, and I think there, there are one or two moments that I, I'll kind of touch on as, as some of my favorite moments from the film. I wonder, Nadia, whether you can pinpoint one or two scenes or bits and bobs on the film that you kind of want to talk about as, as a good thing or something that you like about the film? I think something that I like about the film, probably how the, uh, what's the name of the um, food seller? Oh, I forgot his name. Yes, I know him. He's funny. He has that look. He's funny. <laughs> yeah. He's funny. I think the way that he actually acts very nice to Pasurat, but also, you know, but, but also making fun of him behind his back. It's actually a very accurate representation of Indonesian society because sometimes you don't always like the older members of your family or neighborhood. Mm. But at the same time, you always have to be nice to them because it's, it's our culture. You have to be nice to the elderly. So I think that captures it nicely. Just that, that, those two scenes. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. He's hilarious. I forgot what his name is now. Just a bit of a pity. My favorite scene um, is when we have two other characters who's like doing the rounds in, in the neighborhood and they were checking on this particular house which they thought was actually empty or, or abandoned. And, um, and then suddenly they saw the movement inside it. And then 
the lights inside the house were switched off. And then suddenly all the lights went off, right? And they thought, oh no, there's a ghost inside here, right? Uh, and then suddenly the door opens and it turns out there's actually somebody there, it's a real human being. So, so the buildup and everything kind of makes you feel as if, you know, nothing's really going to happen. Everything's still going to be okay, but there's still a sense of, of dramatic tension there. Uh, and the payoff is actually brilliant because it's, it's the whole thing in terms of the acting, in terms of the way the characters speak, in terms of the, 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 the blocking of the actors as well, you know, all the mise-en-scene elements. It's just hilarious. It's just, and you kind of know what's going to happen, but um, you still kind of want to see what's going to happen. And when it does happen, it, 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 it's, it kind of tickles your funny bones as well. Um, and so that bit is hilarious. And I need to point this out. It's hilarious, even though I didn't really fully understand entirely what was going on. This film is actually... Uh, the language is actually Javanese, Bahasa Jawa. And the subtitles is Bahasa Indonesia. So those are already two languages somewhat foreign to me. I do my best. I think I keep up a fair amount of time, uh, although a fair amount of other people would disagree. But, but the point is, I'm looking at this, scheme, at, at this particular scene, I don't entirely understand it completely, and yet I feel like I was able to get it completely, right? Um, so I, I think there are many, many uh, moments in this particular film that will um, delight in, in a similar way. Before we just end the first part of today's uh, discussion, Nadia, I just want to check in with you to see in this context, like films in Indonesia that kind of touches on um, issues using Bahasa Jawa, for instance, right? Um, but when we speak of Bahasa Indonesia, as, as the main language. Um, of course, some, uh, we, we should not forget that there are many different kinds of languages exist in this country that is as wide as the distance between London and Turkey, right? So you will have Bahasa Minang, Sunda, Jawa, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? Everything in between. Um, in your opinion, uh, Indonesian films using Bahasa Jawa, is this a, a, a particularly common thing? Um, the entire film using Bahasa Jawa, I don't think it's as common, but um, I think the way it usually happens is that the characters, usually from Jakarta, they went to a more um, smaller uh, village or town, and then the people there speaks Javanese. I think that um, that kind of trope is more common, yeah. Right, but in terms of stories and characters uh, and languages being used in the native context of, for instance, um, you know, like, you know, uh, Jawa, like Jawa Tengah in Kroya or in Yogyakarta, for instance, um, we, we don't see as much of that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. Mm. You, you, you describing characters going from Jakarta to places like Jogja, for instance, I'm reminded of the eye. Oh, no, not the eye, the gift, um, which also stars Reza Rahadian from, I think this is from 2018, the film. Um, and again, it's the character is somebody from Jakarta going to Jogja. <laughs> and I think that's just like a normal thing. Is that the same thing in Ada Padangan Cinta Dua? I think there's something about that as well. There's somebody going... Yes. Ranga was in Jogja, was he? Not in, yeah, not in Jakarta. Yeah, Ranga was in Jogja and then Cinta and the gang, they went to Jogja together. And That's right. Yeah, the, the, the Sat was in Jogja, yeah. 
All right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now that now that you have pointed it out like that, I'm starting to think of more and more such examples. Right. So we see a bit more of such diversity in a way, but in terms of native storytellers coming up to tell stories uh, in this way, uh, we don't see as much of that. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, Nungkuyung. Uh, if you do have the time to check it out, um, you know it runs for a touch under half an hour. Um, do check it out. Right. But for now, we are going to take a short break. We are going to be touching on Jakarta a bit more in a short while, um, because in the second half, we'll be talking about a number of other films, including the film uh, Uni, uh, directed by Camila Andini. So uh, don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Everything is okay. I just want to play. I'm for the day.